So today, understanding what the explorers were doing, I thought we'd uh, essentially go through Mark together, the Gospel of Mark. And this morning we're going to look at verse 1, and then this afternoon, uh, verse 1 of Mark 1, sorry, and then this afternoon we're going to then uh, look at the rest of, of chapter 1. Is that okay? You excited? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so, Mark is, is probably the first gospel written out of the four. It was written about 60 AD. So around the time when the apostles, they were starting to get old, they started to slow down, and uh, they felt it was time to start writing their memoirs. And John Mark is the author. And John Mark is mentioned in Acts 12.2 and in Acts 15.37. And he is an incredibly intelligent man. But what we also know of him is that he's very eccentric too. And I imagine could be hard work at times as often geniuses are. We know that he served Paul, and he was probably sacked by him. He then went on to serve uh, Barnabas, and then John Mark left Barnabas to work with Peter. So, for the writer of Mark's Gospel, he did the rounds. John Mark, he collected Peter's memoirs and, and other testimonies, <coughs> to write this, this factual account of Jesus' life for us today. But Mark, he, he, he crafted this biographical account in such a way that it would get a particular point across to the reader. And that is of, of Jesus' outrageous grace. Can you say that with me? Jesus' outrageous grace. Jesus's outrageous grace. What Mark wanted to do here was essentially smash his readers for six. Mark, Mark wanted to, to blow all the assumptions of his culture, all of the, the preconceived ideas about who the Messiah is, he wanted to blow it all out of the water. What we have here in this Gospel is an explosive Monster truck derby, slam dunk, right hook in your face of a gospel. That's what we've got. And Mark starts the charge right out of the gate with his argument in verse 1 of Mark chapter 1. That is our main text for today. Verse 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Have you got your Bibles open? Can you read that with me? Mark chapter 1 verse 1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is Mark's thesis statement. Right there, that's the title. And then what happens then for the rest of this gospel account is Mark defends this statement for 16 chapters. The statement again, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is 
the Son of God. So Mark's argument here is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then to prove this argument, Mark has four points in four different sections of his Gospel. So the first point is prophecy. Can you say that with me? Prophecy. Which is chapter uh, 1, verse 2, all the way to, to verse 8. And Mark here, what he does is he, he quotes Isaiah and he quotes Malachi in these verses. So what's he doing here? Well, he's rooting Jesus back to the Old Testament. That's what he's doing. Mark quotes Isaiah and Malachi here to, to, to show that he is the fulfilment of, of all the prophecy that has gone before. Make sense? And Mark links the, the ancient one crying out in the wilderness to this, this crazy nutcase here called John the Baptist. And we have a glorious scene of the heavens being opened and the Holy Spirit coming down onto Jesus and the Father's voice saying, I am well pleased. And Jesus then is immediately taken out to the wilderness to be tested by the devil. What we have here in this little section, well, to be quite frank with you, it's all utter bonkers, isn't it? And everyone we see here is confused and has absolutely no idea what's really going on. And that's the end of section one. So Mark's argument, again, in chapter 1, verse 1, is that Jesus is who? The Son of God. And he proves this then in section 2, which is essentially the rest of Mark chapter 1, all the way to Mark chapter 8. And we see in these chapters um, Jesus' power. He is simply outrageous in this section. He's challenging everything and everyone. Jesus is walking around, getting right up into people's faces here and screaming demons out of them. He's doing miracles left, right and centre. Jesus is confronting and he is destroying evil. He is arguing with religious leaders. He is undermining all of their traditions. He is even telling the weather what to do. And what's more incredible than that is the weather <coughs> listened and obeyed Jesus. What we see in this section of Mark's Gospel is Jesus' outrageous power. Can you say that with me? Jesus' outrageous power. As Jesus collides with the world. He collides with, with all of our understandings of how things should work. And he says, at the end of this section, my kingdom has come. Chapter 9, verse 1, with power. And again, this section all ends in, in utter confusion. Jesus says in chapter 8, verse 21, do you not yet understand? You see, Jesus has come uh, and he's blowing people's minds. He's turning the world upside down. 
And as a result, everyone around him, everyone that's experienced him, everyone that's seen him do these things, they don't have a clue about what's going on. Everyone is utterly confused. So again, Mark's argument is what? In Mark chapter 1, 1, Jesus is the Son of God. He then goes on to prove this in section 3, which is essentially the end of Mark chapter 8 to, to Mark chapter 10. And here we find that Jesus, Jesus begins to teach the disciples who he is. He's showing the disciples what it means to be the Son of God. That despite all the power that, that he has at his fingertips, power to, to tell the weather what to do, power to scream demons out of people, power to heal the sick. He is teaching the disciples that, that he has not come as a conquering Messiah, as the world wants to perceive him. He's going to challenge their assumptions again by teaching the disciples that, that he has not come to overthrow Rome and build Israel's empire and, and sit on the throne in Jerusalem as, as David once did. No. Jesus is teaching the disciples here that yes, he has come in power, but that power is to be broken. Why? So that he can liberate broken people like you and me from a far greater enemy than Rome. That enemy is sin. Amen? And although proven to be the, the all-powerful God who, who can calm the sea, Jesus, in these chapters, he's teaching the disciples that he has, uh, he has come to, to, to overthrow the powers of darkness, but to do so in weakness. Chapter 10, verse 45 he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for the ransom of many. So you can imagine what's going through the disciples' minds at the moment. They've seen him do all these amazing, great and powerful things, and now he's saying he's actually come to be broken. And this scene then ends once again in utter confusion, with the disciples sat there scratching their head. So what does this mean exactly? You all still with me? For the final time, Mark's argument in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Who is Jesus? Son of God. Yeah. Section 4, Jesus, uh, Mark defends this, this thesis statement, looking at uh, chapters 11 to 16. Mark shows us in these chapters how Jesus becomes the Messiah. Here we see his, his royal entry into Jerusalem, where he preaches truth to power. And what he does here is he, he proclaims the end of the age. He proclaims the destruction of the temple and all of its man-made tradi traditions. And as a result, the elite aren't happy, so what do they do? They, they take him down, don't they? They take him down through lies, through deceit, through deception. Jesus was let down by his closest friends, 
and he was tortured to death. Jesus was then buried and then three days later his body disappears. And then in the last verse of chapter 16 which is verse 8 it says and they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. At the end of this section, we see again that everyone is confused, everyone is scared, everything is in utter chaos. None of the followers of Jesus have a clue what is going on, do they? Can you see that, that after every section of Mark's Gospel, everyone is left in confusion? Have you picked up that point through the message? Yeah? Good. I need some feedback from you. <laughs> John the Baptist, the religious leaders, the disciples, the, the women at the tomb. After every section of Mark's Gospel, Mark is, 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 is apparent in telling us that everyone is confused. That's his point. Can you see that in there? Good. Then we have this famous footnote at the end of verse 8, which is an inspired text. But it says, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, 9 to 20, which we read earlier. Do you have that in your Bibles? Yeah? But do you know what? I love that little note. I love it. Because it highlights to me the integrity of Scripture. It says to us that the scholars that are behind the translation of this book are taking it seriously enough to inform us when they are unsure. Which tells us that they want it to be really accurate, doesn't it? They want it to be true. So their acknowledgement here that these verses that we read together earlier may not be in the original text, well that proves to us that the rest of the verses are. Amen? And that this is indeed the word of God. No one's trying to hoodwink us. It's given to us in the honesty of what we know of, of textual criticism. So here we have the, these infamous verses that end Mark's Gospel. And we're unsure whether they were added later on or not. But it does ask a question, doesn't it? If they were added in later, what does that mean? Does it mean that they're more reliable or less reliable? Have you ever thought of that? Well, verse 9 to uh, 20 of... Uh, Chapter 16, were they, were they added in later because after more consideration they were believed to be more accurate to the events that followed on? <coughs> Who knows? What I will say is that, that despite the caveat that comes with these verses, with that, little, with that little note, these verses are still in our canon. Amen? They're there. 
And I personally believe that they should be. Would you like to know why I think that? Yeah. Good. <laughs> I'm pleased. <laughs> because these final verses, they echo the same drama uh, and craziness that, that left everyone confused throughout Mark's Gospel. When you read Mark's Gospel and see these sections and the bewilderment that people are left in, these end verses of Mark chapter 16, they kind of fit in with it all. And what we read here is of, of outrageous claims of, of driving out demons and, and drinking poison and surviving and, and holding snakes and, and miraculous healings. It all sounds a bit nuts, doesn't it? But these words here, they're, they're all in the exact same writing style as Mark's Gospel. I also think that, that God orchestrated the confusion, uh, the inclusion of, of these, these verses for a reason. I think they've been preserved for us for, for millennia with this little caveat so that we would come to these verses slightly confused. I think that was God's plan. And God wants us to be confused at the end of Mark so that we ask ourselves a very important question when we get to the end of the Gospel. And I'd like to close this morning with this most important question for you all. Are you listening? This question is so important, it has eternal consequences for your soul. So listen up. The Gospel of Mark is all about Christ. Amen? And what we know is it has two potential endings. Mark 16, verse 8, or Mark 16, verse 20. Mark 16, verse 8, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That's one potential ending. The second potential ending, Mark 20. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. The question I leave you with today is which ending best describes where you're at in your relationship with the living God? Are you somebody who has heard about the outrageous acts of of Jesus Christ today, the outrageous acts, the, the unbelievable acts that, that Mark testifies to here in his gospel, that you're sat here this morning in church and you remain confused by it all, just like the women leaving the tomb in verse 8? Or are you someone who accepts the reality of these truths, the truths that proclaim who Jesus is, who is he? the Son of God. And as a result, you will leave this church today in the attitude of Mark chapter 16, verse 20. In the power and the confidence of the resurrection, telling everyone out there of God's love and grace for you. Amen?
Where are you in your walk with God this morning? Are you stuck in the fear and anxiety and and the cynicism of Mark chapter 16 verse 8? Or have you been liberated in faith to read on and finish at Mark 16.20? And own these amazing verses for yourself? That's the question. Now some of you might be sat here thinking, yes John... But it's not as easy as that, is it? I really do want to progress past verse 8. I I, I want to know God's power and and God's grace that will get me through to verse 20 so I can be bold and liberated and and confident in the gospel truth. But Pastor John, I'm still confused. How can an all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty God suffer and die for me. I just don't get it. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of his love. I'm not worthy to get past verse 8. I'm not worthy to read on to verse 20. Well, let me tell you, in all the confusion, in all the bonkers events that, that we have seen together today in Mark's Gospel, the confusion that that Jesus caused among the religious leaders, among the disciples, even in John the Baptist. There's only one person in Mark's Gospel who truly gets the point. There's only one person in Mark's Gospel who actually could progress from verse 8 to verse 20. And it's the Gentile Roman soldier found at the end of Mark chapter 15. Who was one of the men who who crucified God. This man committed deicide. He stripped Jesus naked, he pulled out his beard, he beat him, he punched him, he spat in his face, he dug a crown of thorns into his skull, he drove nails through his hands and his feet, and he lifted up Jesus naked in utter agony for all to see and mock him. He lifted Jesus up to die a public and shameful death between criminals. This man, the Roman soldier, who murdered Jesus in all the confusion of what was going on that day, he got it. When Jesus breathed his last, the Roman soldier answered Mark's thesis statement in Mark 1.1. In Mark 1.1, Mark says, Jesus is who? The Son of God. In Mark 15.39, the Roman soldier went, surely, surely, This man is the Son of God. Amen? He was the only one to get it right in the whole of this Gospel. The man who killed Jesus. Friends, the reality of who Jesus is can be really confusing. Sometimes it's hard to grasp. Sometimes he's hard to believe. But the point of Mark's Gospel is that however crazy some of this stuff sounds and however unworthy you may feel, 
in regards to the truth of Jesus and that his truth is for you, Mark makes the argument in verse 1, 1 of his gospel that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the only one who got it in his entire gospel account was the guy who drove nails through the flesh of the Messiah. His message is, if this Roman soldier can get from Mark 16, verse 8, to Mark 16, 20, friends, so can each one of you. Amen? Every one of you can. All you must do is have faith. Not blind, mythical faith. That's what the world thinks Christianity is. We believe in fairy tales. We don't. We have faith in the historical facts. Have faith in the facts. This is true. Believe it. Have faith to receive the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, and all that this truth means for your life. He really came, amen? He really died. That's the most proven event in ancient history. To undermine that, get rid of everything we know of Caesar, of, of the Battle of Hastings, of Henry VIII. Jesus died, fact. And when he did die, he shed his blood to wash you clean. Amen? And let's say if he really rose again, if that were true, you would expect that 2,000 years later, 6,000 miles away, in a little town called Cliddock, people would meet to celebrate it, wouldn't you? That would be the obvious consequence of God raising from the dead. And we're all here. You're evidence for this truth. And that's good news. Because this is all true, it means that you are all forgiven. Amen? You are all forgiven. Do you believe this? I'll close by reading Mark 16, verse 20, with a slight, slight change. And they went out to Cliddock, and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying the